Les's League. Hello and welcome back to Big Les's League and all rugby league experience. I'm your host, Big Les, the last review podcast. We're reviewing the Manly Seagulls and the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. Let's get straight into it. Let's get straight into it with Manly. Very interesting season with the Manly Seagulls. Very, very interesting. Obviously, the Pride jersey fiasco, it really hurt them. Really, really hurt them and it pretty much cost them their season. It really destroyed the morale around the playing group and that really forced their season to come a little bit short and obviously just didn't give them much chance of making finals at all, to be honest. Now, obviously with Tom Trevojevic being out, it was a massive year for the Seagulls. Des Hasler being sacked at the back end of the season. Just recently, only two weeks ago, he was sacked from the club. I just still can't believe, I still can't believe that's the decision they made. But anyway, let's get into the season now. Obviously, after getting on a bit of a run at the end of 2021 to finish fourth, they missed out on finals altogether this season. The Manly Seagulls got off to a rocky start, losing their first two matches, but sparked to life and looked like they were going to build towards another campaign in September, obviously, to go to finals. Now, obviously, they had a bunch of controversies during this season that really sparked pretty much a downfall of the Manly Seagulls, especially after round 20. They had a seven-game losing streak to finish the season, and that is pretty disappointing. Now, look, Tom Travojevic being out, that would have been massive. Repeated injuries, whether it was the hamstring, whether it was the shoulder, which ultimately ruled him out for the rest of the season, and that was a devastating blow, a devastating blow for the Manly Seagulls. When he was in the side, they were fantastic. They were on a roll. They had a lot of confidence, but I'm afraid when he left the side, all the confidence, it sort of went downhill, and then the Pride jersey saga happened. Obviously, Des Hasler comes out. He apologizes for it, along with Daly Cherry Evans, who, by the way, for both of those guys and how they handled that situation, I have the utmost respect. And for Des Hasler, I have the highest amount of respect because every time there was a controversy at Manly, he was the guy that always came out. He was the guy that always apologized, even though that it wasn't always his fault. And that's what I respect so much about Des Hasler, the ability to come out and apologize for things that weren't his fault that he was being blamed for, particularly by the board. The board really just absolutely flogged him, coming out and saying that they were looking to change coach and then they changed their mind, then they changed their mind again and ultimately he gets sacked. The board basically blamed Des Hasler for faults of their own, particularly the Pride jersey, particularly the Pride jersey saga. That was the board's fault. The board didn't organize it correctly. They didn't inform Des Hasler. They didn't inform the players who obviously had a religious beliefs going against the Pride jersey, but probably still would have been happy to wear it if they were notified earlier in the year that that was going to be an occurrence uh, at the back end of the season. So Des Hasler was blamed for the board's mistakes and ultimately he was sucked for it, which is absolutely unacceptable. And I really just can't find any reason for Des Hasler to be in any fault here. He wouldn't have had this idea. The board should have come to him. And for that, he's been sacked along with other reasons, along with other rumors that have come out. And now they're going for Anthony Seabold. Now, Anthony Seabold, he's just come off a pretty shocking run at the Brisbane Broncos. Couldn't do much with the side and ultimately was sacked for it. My question is, as good as a coach as Anthony Seabold is, what's he going to do with this Manly Seagulls side? They're looking for a 5'8". Multiple players have been rumored to walk out of the club. 
Jack Trevojevic, we can see in the interviews that he's obviously annoyed that Des Hasler has been sacked from the club. So a lot of players are a bit uneasy because of that. I don't really see a world where Anthony Seibold turns this side around quick smart and gets them back on their finals trajectory. I really do think that it's going to take a few years for the Manly Seagulls to get some momentum. They need a big signing in the sixth jersey. Daly Cherry Evans isn't going to be around forever. He's sort of getting to the end of his career as well. They need to find two halves that they're going to stick with for the next few years. They need to work on the future. It's a tough time at Manly. It really is. And all of the things that's happened in the season, all of the rumors that are now coming out, most of it, and I'm not 100% sure, but outside looking in, it looks to be the board's fault. The board is the one that should be in question here, not Des Hazler, not any of the coaching staff who, by the way, most of them, including one of the recruitment or development managers, which I believe is Bob Fulton's granddaughter, has been sacked as well. So the management's being blamed, uh, the pathways manager's being blamed somehow, and the head coach has been blamed for this when it really it's a board issue, it's the board's fault for something that could have been executed a bit better. So I could talk all day about this. I'm just really annoyed that Des Hasler has been the one to fall for the board's mistakes and particularly when he's the guy that's been coming out to the media and apologizing for all of the things that have happened, even though, again, it's not his fault. He's the one that's being punished for all of this. So it's just massive. It is huge that Des Hasler has been sacked. It's a lot for the players as well, and it's going to be a really hard season next season. It is going to be a really hard season in 2023. But look, let's stop talking some doom and gloom. Let's go into the best period for the Manly Seagulls, the best period to be a Manly fan. After the rough start they had to the season, Manly got it together in round three, where they embarked on a four-game winning streak with their defense being the cornerstone of their success, particularly through guys like Jake Travojevic, who was just solid all season long, put 100% in all season long. Their veteran that really got them by, especially when Tom Travojevic was out. They conceded just 42 points across this spell while scoring over 20 points themselves on three occasions. Obviously, in this four-game winning streak, they were going pretty well, but that was about as consistent as they had got all year. Unfortunately, as Des Hasler's men were never able to string more than two victories together again during this season. Daly Cherry Evans sparked their round three victory with a late field goal against the Bulldogs. And obviously, after that game, it looked like it was going to be a very similar season to 2021 for them, but eventually, obviously, the Jersey saga. Rumors that Des Hasler was going to be sacked and eventually was sacked. Players unrest at the club. Josh Shushta reportedly going to be moved on by the club due to them not using him on Des Hasler apparently saying that he wasn't ready. And that for me is where the season fell apart. Not just that, but Tom Travojevic's shoulder injury in May. That was pretty much the cherry on top to the downfall of the Manly Seagulls this season. Unfortunately, without Tom Travojevic, they really struggled to gain some success. And after round 20, obviously, was pretty much the downfall of the Manly Seagulls. But look, for me, if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, they need to find a six if they're to have any success going into next year. And they also need Tom Travojevic to be fit. If he's not fit, I think they could possibly get the spoon 
soon going into next year. That is my big call. I don't think they will. If he's fit, they'll go really well. But if he's not, they could fall upon the bottom parts of the ladder, the Manly Seagulls. I just don't see them getting any success or momentum during the season if Tom Trevojevic isn't in that side. Now, Ruben Garrick did pretty well for them. And I think that he would be quite good for them, especially if Tom Trevojevic again next season does get injured. But I just don't think they're going to find all the missing pieces if he's out of that side. Because obviously, as I said before, they are missing a six in that side. They need a six going into next season. And they don't know who that is yet, which is a scary thought for them going into next season. So a lot to think about. Uh, And obviously, they need to get the boys right. They need to make sure that everyone knows what the plan is going into next year. No surprises like the Pride jersey. They need to know who their coach is, who their assistant coach is, and what the plan is going into next season. And all the unrest in the playing group needs to be solved if they're to have any sort of success going into next season, the Manly Seagulls. But there you go. That was their review. We'll go on now to the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. Now, obviously, they had a pretty rough start. Trent Barrett as coach, they didn't have many wins. In fact, I don't think they had any going into the start of the season, which obviously ended Trent Barrett's coaching career at the club right at the start of the season. Mick Potter comes in and All of a sudden, they have this little spark inside of the side. I don't know what he did, but all of a sudden, they start winning games. The combination between, obviously, Matt Burton and Josh Adokar really starts to formulate, and they start looking like a well-oiled side. Now, with the side they had, I think it's fair to say that they under-delivered. However, I was really impressed with where they ended up. I think it was 12th that they ended up on the ladder at the end of the season, so I'm quite impressed with where they ended up, particularly how they ended up ended the season as well. Started to get some wins together. Positive signs from Matt Burton and Josh Adokar. Jake Avarillo giving some answers as to who the next fullback's going to be. Jacob Carraz coming into the side and making his debut and really cementing a spot on the wing there. For the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs, possibly a spot at fullback since they have made it clear that they are looking for a new fullback and halfback. Which, by the way, I think would really stuff up next season. I think that is going to be the downfall of the Bulldogs. If they don't find a halfback and a fullback, which, by the way, I think they already have. They need to keep Jake Averillo in the fullback jersey, and they need to keep Kyle Flanagan in the seven. It's worked well for them. I think that that's what Serraldo is going to train with. I think he sees the potential in obviously having Kyle Flanagan in the halfback jersey and obviously Jake Averillo in the fullback jersey. I think that's the side he's going to run out with. That's the side I'd be keeping, keeping a consistent outfit. People give a lot of criticism to Kyle Flanagan. Personally, I think he's just doing his job simple, not really playing those high percentage plays, just being really simple and allowing Matt Burton to really do his thing. And people get angry at that. Oh, he's not doing the flashy plays, so he's shit. I don't believe that for a second. He's doing his job. He's keeping it simple. He's not doing too many high percentage plays because he knows that's what Matt Burton's going to be doing. He knows that's what Matt Burton's job is. He's keeping it simple. So Matt Burton, it really frees him up to do what he does with the footy. And he is so creative and so dangerous with the football in his hands. Matt Burton and Carl Flanagan really lets him be dangerous by just keeping to himself, getting the work done, especially in defense as well. He's a really solid defensive halfback as well too, Kyle Flanagan. And people give him a lot of shit. 
I don't think he's shit at all. I just think that he's realized what his job is in that side and he's playing it to a T. And I think that's really freed up Matt Burton. Now, people, as I said, are going to give him shit because he's not the flashy halfback that all of the other halfbacks like in Nathan Cleary's, you, Jerome Hughes's are. But he's just to himself and he gets the work done. And that's what I really like about Kyle Flanagan. I think that's what they need to keep going into next season now. Kyle Flanagan, he can be the flashy player. But obviously, he's keeping to himself to free up Matt Burton. Now, look, to be honest, after week one, we sort of had a realization that the Bulldogs weren't going to be a top eight side going into the rest of the season. It needs work. It's a rebuild phase at the Bulldogs at the moment. They're still recruiting guys and adding guys to the spine. Obviously, Jeremy Marshall King, who's had some great success in the number nine jersey for the Bulldogs, is going to the Dolphins, and they're bringing in Raid Marnie. Viliami Kikiao is coming into the outfit as well, which is going to be really dangerous. Imagine having Viliami Kikiao and Tevita Pangai Jr. in the back row for your side. That is just unbelievable. So they're going to have a pretty well-oiled side going into next season. The halves are sort of linked together. I think they're really going to click going into next season. Reid Marty in the nine jersey is going to free up Matt Burton as well. And also maybe even free up Kyle Flanagan as well. So look, I see some real potential in this side. I think they need to keep Jake Averillo at fullback though. I think that what I've seen from him this season has been really impressive. So keep Jake Averillo at fullback. And I think it's going to bring the Bulldogs some real success going into this season. Now the Bulldogs managed to open their season with a 6-4 win away to North Queensland. And after that, particularly myself, but a lot of people were very confident that they were going to be a side to push their way into the top eight. But obviously, as I said, as the season went on, we sort of realized that wasn't going to be the case. Now, obviously, they lost the next six games, which felt like a return to the regular transmission. And during this spell, they scored over 12 points, just one. So during that spell, they only scored 12 points or over just once during that six-game losing streak. Obviously, a few games later, even though they got a beautiful win over the Roosters, 16-12, to Trent Barrett was sacked, and I think that was sort of a bit of a downfall in the club in a sense. But I thought that there was massive improvement all the way down the season. I wouldn't say the season is a failure. I wouldn't say that at all. They were very close to the bottom of the ladder last season, and to get to where they were, to get to 12, I think is really, really impressive for the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. I'll be very, very happy. Happy with that, particularly, as I said, with the combinations that are formed, particularly between Burton and Nano Car, which is going to be really, really dangerous going into next season. Now, the best period for the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs was when Mick Potter walked through the door. Round 11 onwards, there was just massive improvement every single week. The playing style completely changed from what Barrett had it as. And they looked like a well-oiled side, and they looked like an impressive outfit as well, particularly with the roster they had as well. And they're starting to get a bit of a consistent spine going. They sorted out who their fullback was in Jake Avrillo. They sorted out who their halfback was in Kyle Flanagan. And at the back end of the season, they kept it, and they went quite well getting some wins just before the end of the season as well. Obviously, as I said, not a top eight side, but I think next season they're definitely capable of being so. The best game I think I've seen from the Bulldogs is obviously the upset they gave to the Parramatta Reels in round 14. I thought that was one of their best games, especially against the top eight side. They really dominated in that one. And then obviously the week after in round 15, they gained revenge on the Tigers, 
beating them 36 to 12 as well. So those two weeks I thought was the best period there for the Bulldogs, but just the combinations they've formed and how they're looking as a side, I think is really impressive. And I'm really excited going into next season when they get an experienced number nine in Reid Marnie, who is just one of the best passes off the ground that I've seen best, best service there from Reid Marnie. Kicking out a dummy half is going to be a whole new thing as well. He just brings so much to that side and then Viliami Kikiao on an edge is just going to be indestructible as well. So very, very exciting going into next season. The shining light was Matt Burton, obviously. He really came into his element. We were thinking, geez, how is he going to make the transition from center into 5'8"? Obviously, he is a 5'8", born and raised, but he played most of the season beforehand in the centers. So how is he going to make that transition? He did it quite well. I think it's an underrated transition as well. Obviously, people are focused on Nico Hines transitioning from fullback into the halfback jersey. But I think Matt Burton's transition and Matt Burton's season overall has been super underrated. I think that he has been so, so pivotal, particularly in the big moments of the season for the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. I think he's learned a lot from this season as well, and I think he's going to be super dangerous as well as the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs going into next season as well.